Greetings, listeners, and welcome to this Vetfolio educational podcast episode sponsored by Beringer Ingelheim. This is Dr. Mia Carey, the Chief Collaboration Officer for the North American Veterinary Community. As many of our listeners can attest, vaccinations remain a critical part of today's veterinary practice. However, it can be challenging to educate clients on the importance of vaccinating their pets against a range of diseases that they perceive to be uncommon, not life-threatening or zoonotic. In this podcast series, I'll be speaking with several thought leaders on key infectious diseases. They'll discuss the facts you need to know to determine the vaccination protocol that is right for your patients, as well as practical tips to optimize client education and compliance. In this podcast episode, which is the first in the series, we'll be discussing feline leukemia virus with our guest, Dr. Alice Wolf. We're looking to answer the questions, which cats are truly at risk for feline leukemia virus? And which test is best for diagnosing feline leukemia? In this podcast, Dr. Wolf provides her recommendations and guidance for an effective feline leukemia prevention program. We'll also discuss the pathology, transmission, as well as clinical signs of feline leukemia. We'll conclude our talk with a discussion of how to interpret diagnostic tools and what vaccination protocol she recommends. So Dr. Wolf, let's just jump right in. The first question I'd like to discuss with you is just your definition. What is feline leukemia? Feline leukemia virus is a gamma retrovirus related to the bovine and murine leukemia viruses. They're all in the same family, but they all affect different species. Excellent. Thank you. And if we go a little bit further along those lines, how do cats become infected or ill from feline leukemia virus? In nature, most cats are infected as young kittens. Kittens are the most susceptible group, and they acquire infection from their dam either in utero or during the nursing period from the milk or during that period with the dam when she is grooming them because there's a very high virus load in saliva so that mutual grooming and close contact with their mom makes it very easy to spread infection to the kittens. If you take a group of kittens less than six weeks old and infect them experimentally with feline leukemia virus, you can persistently infect nearly 100% of them. So the bitty babies are the most susceptible to infection. If you wait until those kittens are six months old, and try to infect them, you can only infect about 30%. And if you wait until a cat is one year of age, even without vaccination, you can only infect maybe 10 to 15% of them. So with age, cats acquire significant natural resistance to feline leukemia virus infection. And this is information that dates back to some of our earliest studies with feline leukemia back around 1975. And this has been demonstrated again more recently in vaccine studies. Most of the early vaccine studies used kittens as the challenge model, and they were challenged very shortly post-vaccination. When vaccine companies were looking to have a longer duration of immunity on the label of a year or two or even longer, and they would use adult cats as the unvaccinated controls. When they were challenged, 
they couldn't get enough of those adult cats to acquire infection to show a significant difference with the vaccinates. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. Once infection has occurred, how does the virus progress through the animal's body? Feline leukemia virus is spread primarily by salivary transmission, close contact among cats. It lives a very short time in the environment. So feline leukemia virus infection is a disease of friendly cats. The initial infection is acquired by the oral route. The replication initially occurs in the retropharyngeal lymph nodes, and there's an expansion of that virus population. Then there's an initial viremia that occurs about three weeks post-infection. At this time, there's a, a modest amount of virus that goes out into circulation. But this can be detected with some of our very sensitive feline leukemia tests, such as the ELISA test and PCR testing. Once out in circulation, this virus then goes to other regional lymph nodes and also to the bone marrow. Over the next three weeks, there's an additional expansion of the virus population, and then we get a secondary viremia with not only a much larger amount of virus, but also virus-infected cells being released from the bone marrow. At this point, that our immunofluorescent antibody test will become positive, and this secondary viremia occurs about six weeks after the initial infection. Now, once the secondary viremia occurs, we get infection of all kinds of tissues in the body, and of these, the epithelial tissues are most important because they are the source of virus shed from the infected cat to other in-contact cats. And Dr. Wolf, you touched upon the topic of testing in your last remarks. I'd like to explore that a little bit further. Can you talk to our audience members about what tests are available to detect feline leukemia infection in cats? We're very fortunate in having a number of excellent tests for feline leukemia virus available to us as veterinarians. The one we're most familiar with and used most commonly in our practices is the ELISA test, the enzyme-linked immunosorbent assay test. These tests are very sensitive and they're very specific, about 98% for each. They are easy to perform on our bench top in our own practices, and they have a, a very good degree of reliability. We do have to be very careful when we interpret the results. A very strong positive result on our ELISA test is usually a true positive. But sometimes we get a weak positive. We get just a faint color change in our test system. And these could be due to a number of different factors. First, there might be interfering substances that are giving us a false positive result. Or we might have a very early stage of the infection where there just isn't much virus around. Or perhaps we didn't perform the test exactly correctly. Maybe we let it sit a little bit too long before we read the result. So we should always be suspect of a weak positive. The first thing that we do if we've run the test on whole blood with one of these ELISA kits is to repeat the test on serum. Because if they're red cell fragments that are interfering, we may be able to eliminate that problem. 
The immunofluorescent antibody test can only be performed by a commercial outside laboratory. It is performed on peripheral blood smears or sometimes on bone marrow. What we're looking for is virus-infected cells that are circulating. And this test will become positive approximately six weeks into the virus infection. The polymerase chain reaction is a very sophisticated test and can only be performed by an outside laboratory. It is quite sensitive, and PCR results generally will be compared and correlate well with our ELISA test results in-house. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. In drawing on your experiences with the virus, which feline leukemia test have you found to be the most effective? There are a number of different good tests available for us. For our in-house use, the ELISA testing is usually the easiest and it is quite reliable. There are a number of different test systems available and they all have pretty similar results. There has been two recent abstracts that were presented at the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine meeting in 2016 that suggests that of the in-house test systems, the IDEX SNAP test is the, the best one to use. We also need to be concerned about our interpretation of our ELISA results with respect to the incidence of the disease in the population. Many times we are testing apparently healthy cats, kittens prior to vaccination, et cetera, where the incidence in that group of cats for feline leukemia will be less than 1%. In a test system with a 98% sensitivity and specificity, that means that if we test 100 cats that don't have the disease, we will still get two positive results. So if we test a population that has a 1% incidence and we test 100 cats, we'll get one positive that's a true positive and two false positives. That means the reliability, even in this highly specific and sensitive system, in a low-risk population is only about 33%. So we do need to be suspect with our in-house testing and always be sure that we confirm a positive ELISA result with one of the other tests. Then we have another interesting group of cats called discordant cats. These cats will have a positive ELISA result but will be negative on IFA testing. These cats, if we follow over time, about 25% will become positive on both the ELISA and the IFA. That means they have a progressive infection. About 25% will become negative on both tests, meaning they have a regressive infection and have apparently cleared feline leukemia virus from their bloodstream. If we continue on, the other 50% remain in this limbo of having a positive ELISA and a negative IFA. These cats may have sequestered virus someplace in their body. We don't know where it is, but we have to assume that they're potentially infectious to other cats and treat them as such, and that they may still develop feline leukemia virus-related complications. When we have a feline patient actually in the veterinary practice, 
What are some clinical signs that associate veterinarians and staff should be on the lookout for related to feline leukemia? And also, Dr. Wolf, how long does it take from the time of infection for signs to begin to manifest? In our clinical patients, most of the time we have no idea at what point during their life the cat became infected because we may not test them until they're showing some signs of illness. In experimental studies, there may be a fairly long incubation or lag period before clinical signs appear. Generally speaking, in kittens, the clinical signs that we see associated with feline leukemia virus occur much earlier in the course of infection. So the kittens infected at less than a year of age are much more likely to have some type of FELD-related disease or complication very early in life and will have a much shortened lifespan. Overall, we generally say that about 85% of cats that we diagnose with feline leukemia virus infection will die from some type of FELD-related complication within three years' time. So that leaves another 15% that may live quite a bit longer than that. In kittens, what we look for are unthrifty, unhealthy kittens that are growing poorly, maybe that have some type of secondary infection. Very severe anemia is another problem that can show up, and that's due to bone marrow suppression. We can see neoplastic problems either from myeloproliferative diseases, um, lymphosarcoma. We used to see a lot of anterior mediastinal lymphoma in young cats with FELD infection, gastrointestinal lymphoma, generalized lymphosarcoma with lymphadenopathy. We also can see the results of immunosuppression associated with feline leukemia virus, and these would be infections that don't seem to heal well, chronic upper respiratory disease. Uh, we can see oral infections, all signs that there's something that is preventing this cat's immune system from responding normally to an infectious problem. In adult cats, we look for things like unexplained weight loss, signs of secondary diseases such as skin infections, maybe parasitic infections with Demodex, which normally does not occur in cats, and when we see it, especially in adults, we look for some type of immunosuppressive problem. Bad oral infections, development of neoplastic complications such as the myeloproliferative diseases or lymphosarcoma, all of these things might be manifest as clinical signs that we can see. And are there any specific treatments for feline leukemia? Unfortunately, there is no specific therapy for feline leukemia virus. There are no antiviral agents that are effective against this particular viral disease. Some people have tried different approaches with immunomodulators, immunostimulants, things like interferon, lymphocytes, cytokine factor, et cetera. But none of these therapies has ever been subject to the scrutiny of good controlled studies. So we really have no evidence that they are particularly helpful. And because we have no specific treatment, the best way we can 
prevent our cats from having FELV-related diseases is to prevent the infection with feline leukemia virus. Let's now move on to a slightly different topic. Let's explore the idea of protection and prevention a little bit more. What can practices do to protect their patients against feline leukemia? Prevention is really the key to keeping our cats and our kittens healthy and not having them by a feline leukemia virus infection. As mentioned earlier, there is age-related resistance, and our kittens are the most susceptible group to infection. And that is why all of the major organizations that have published vaccination guidelines for the cat have recommended universal kittenhood vaccination against feline leukemia virus. And that means the American Association of Feline Practitioners, the World Small Animal Veterinary Association, and the European Advisory Board on Cat Diseases. Which vaccine is the best? That's always the question that comes up. And there are some different studies out there. Unfortunately, most of the studies, especially the ones using adult cats, they all use different challenge models. Some of them use immunosuppression models. And it's very difficult to compare vaccines across the board. There is a study that will be published probably late in 2016, if not maybe early 2017, that compares three different feline leukemia vaccines all with a, the same challenge model, which is a well-established model. And in that particular study, these vaccines appear to have very similar efficacy. There is no feline leukemia vaccine that is 100% effective in 100% of our patients because this is a very difficult disease to protect cats. It is the best we can do, and we should try to protect as many cats as possible. I personally will only recommend the use of a non-adjuvanted feline leukemia vaccine in cats because we have no treatment for FELV, prevention is the key to avoiding the heartbreak of having a cat acquire feline leukemia virus infection. Thank you, listeners. That's a wrap. Dr. Wolf, we'd like to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. I enjoyed hearing your thoughts and recommendations on feline leukemia virus. We would also like to thank Beringer Ingelheim for sponsoring this Vetfolio educational podcast. Listeners, we hope you've enjoyed our first session in this vaccination series. Be sure to check out the other two parts of the program.